You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the April RSA Conference podcast of 2020. This is Casey Zirkus, content strategist on the RSA Conference team. I'm really glad that you're able to listen in on what will definitely be an eye-opening and action-inducing podcast with two industry leaders who presented at RSA Conference in February. Aaron and Georgia, please take a moment to just introduce yourselves. Hello, I'm Aaron Turner. I'm one of the members of the RSA Program Committee who helps to put together the sessions that we have at the RSA Conference. I've been working in information security now for nearly three decades, trying to focus on how do we make things better when we're put in sometimes compromising situations due to lack of resources or inability to get the tools we need. And so trying to help you out here in these crazy times with this podcast. I'm Georgia Weedman, and this was actually my first time speaking at RSA. I'm probably best known as the author of Penetration Testing, a hands-on introduction to hacking. I'm also an entrepreneur. I started the mobile security company, Shavira. I focus mainly in my research on mobility, the Internet of Things, and bring your own device. Fantastic. Aaron and Georgia, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. Aaron, for the listeners who weren't able to attend your session at conference, can you give a little bit of background on what your talk was about and why it's so important that we revisit it today? Yes. So George and I have collaborated a lot over the last few years on basically proving to people the weaknesses that exist within the security ecosystem that is inside of the mobile technology ecosystem. For example, a lot of times people think that if they have an MDM profile installed in their phone, it does something special to protect them from software exploits on that device. Or if they have a multi-factor authentication token installed on their phone, that it somehow can avoid those same security vulnerabilities that are on the handset. And so throughout the research that we've done over several years, we really wanted to have an opportunity to show people just how real these problems are. And so what we focused on at RSA was proving to people that if you have a mobile device that is vulnerable to a remote exploit, and if that mobile device has a multi-factor authentication token program installed upon it, it could allow an attacker to steal that mobile multi-factor authentication token and use it without the user's consent, basically making that MFA token something that's not really what it's designed to do. And so with the help of Georgia, we were able to actually demonstrate how that could be done uh, against certain mobile MFA tools uh, using commodity off-the-shelf exploits uh, in conjunction with the Shavira tool that Georgia's been developing. And for a lot of folks in the audience, it was a very eye-opening moment because they thought that these things couldn't be done. And so it's always fun to educate people through reality and to help motivate them to make changes so that they can better manage risk. And, and I think we were really successful at that. That's fantastic. Yeah. I know your session was really well attended and got a lot of good feedback. So that's great. Georgia, I know that the whole world has gone mobile in the past several weeks and so many companies are working with a full remote workforce. But what does that mean for those organizations that maybe didn't have a remote work policy or even a BYOD policy or the right infrastructure in place to support an expanded mobile workforce? Well, I think that when we look at the history of uh, mobility in the enterprise, 
it's going to be this COVID-19 and when the iPhone joins the workforce in 2007 that are going to be the two watershed events in enterprise mobile security. I think a lot of people have chosen to just kind of push for your own device and mobility and all those things under the rug, not include it much in their security program, if at all. And, you know, now they're perhaps feeling that rub. And I think that, you know, most enterprise security teams, the most important thing right now is is just keeping the enterprise up and running. But security is, of course, important. And I would say that because that's what I do. Um, but, you know, we have to keep the enterprise actually surviving for now. But I think we need to pick our battles, go for the low-hanging fruit. You know, right now for most of us, we're entirely reactive on that bring your own device, mobility, cloud, all those things that are, you know, our real pain points right now for keeping the enterprise going. We're totally defensive. So I'd like to see, you know, as things do kind of calm down, at least we'll be able to use that as a lever in the future to demonstrate that we should have been proactive in the past and we need to be proactive going forward with these problems. Yeah, so true. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? I wanted to follow up on what you just said to see if you can give some advice to our listeners, those security teams for whom old visibility is gone and they can't get logs. What can they do right now to mitigate these security risks? Well, the sad thing is with a lot of mobility and bring your own device is it's really just the basics that we need to go back to that we've really missed from the get-go. You know, as Erin mentioned, you know, we've put enterprise mobility management or you know, whatever name we want to use in front of these problems without ever really understanding them or, like, fixing the underlying issues. So, you know, back to the basics of security, you know, push everyone to use the most up-to-date versions of their mobile operating systems and applications, which, again, very basic in security. We like to patch things. That's good. Apple and, to a lesser extent, Google and Samsung are pretty good about pushing those security patches out quickly with so much of the teams unexpectedly mobile and remote. Now is the time for them to do their part to keep those devices up to date. And the good news about folks working at home, of course, is we probably don't have to worry too much about them being on, like, public Wi-Fi. But this is a good time to teach everybody use the VPNs at all times when you're connecting to the corporate network. That's always a good idea. And I think it's as important as ever, especially, you know, in our current climate, we're seeing a lot of phishing attacks. Um, I think it's important that everybody be aware that any mechanism, not just email, not just somebody calling you on the phone, any mechanism that can deliver a file, display text, so any of those chat messengers, you know, Zoom has chat, you know, Zoom's been in the news a lot, Uh, Facebook Messenger, Twitter, you know, any way that you can talk or even just get an image, you know, you think about a QR code that you scan, and these are all ways that people can be fished, they can be enticed to give up information, they can be enticed to install malware. So, again, these are really basic things, you know, patching, security of your connection, and uh, phishing awareness, but these are all things that we've seen, you know, people fall victim to time and time again. So, you know, I'd like to see people not just do that on, like, the email and desktop side, but especially now, it's really important that we have that mobile hygiene with our bring-your-own device. Well, I guess we're not bringing it anywhere right now, but our own devices that we're using at home and our, our mobility yeah, fantastic. Erin, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about endpoint integrity. How can those who are struggling work toward achieving better endpoint integrity? 
Well, unfortunately, in this moment of crisis, there's going to be some hard decisions that people are going to have to make. There's not going to be a massive rollout of new stuff right now because of the economic situation. In fact, I'm joining you on this podcast from Luxembourg in the European Union, uh, where there was not a big culture of work from home or work remotely uh, due to tax laws. For example, people who had to come into the office to work in their office in Luxembourg. Well, now the government has undone those tax treaties and basically said, okay, if you're a resident of France that's supposed to work in Luxembourg, you can keep working in France. But these people didn't laptops. They literally had desktops. And so you see people driving to the office and taking whole desktops back to their, their homes because they don't have there's a supply chain problem in getting laptops out there. So unfortunately, we're in this situation where there is no magic wand to say, and you get a laptop, and you get a laptop, and you get a new phone, and you get a new phone. And so there was a great line that I heard from another podcast that has to do with economics, where this uh, famous economics professor basically said, in this time of crisis, people are going to have to make the decision to wear their least dirty shirt. So imagine you're on a trip and you've got your luggage with you and you haven't been able to find a laundromat. Well, in those cases, you wear your least dirty shirt. And so what I would be doing from a, a, an endpoint integrity perspective is basically saying, look, what's the cleanest thing I can get my people to use? And maybe, maybe they have a laptop that's better off than their work laptop. And maybe you start doing some shifting there. Maybe their personal device is more patchable and more securable than their corporate issued device. And so I think teams will have to make that decision to move towards their least dirty shirt, at least until we make it through the supply chain glitches and all of the problems that social distancing is, is giving us today to basically try to manage risk the best we can. Yeah, that is such great advice, right? Like, because I think we get so stressed out and overwhelmed with the big picture, you forget that you can take these little steps and wear your least dirty shirt if the laundry isn't done, right? So I think that's great advice. Following up on that, recognizing that so many organizations are going to be reevaluating their budgets, possibly even having to do some reduction in force. I wanted to ask you what these organizations should be doing to strengthen their overall security posture. Yeah, you know, I have many consulting clients that I've spoken to over the last several weeks, and many of them have had to break the bad news to me that they're leaving. You know, these are people that I've worked with for sometimes decades, that they are no longer going to be gainfully employed at their companies because of the economic pressure that companies are facing. And so I think we all have to accept the reality that there are going to be less people involved in doing IT in general. So I, uh, in some of the phone calls that I've had with IT leaders across many different segments of industries, it's pretty much unanimous that IT spending is going to go down similar to what is forecast from a GDP perspective. So the latest number I saw uh, from Goldman Sachs is that it's now estimated to be a 40% hit on gross domestic product uh, for the, the rest of this year. So assuming that, that we are going to see that reduction in GDP, we're probably going to see a significant reduction in the amount of IT spending to go along with that. I'm hopeful that the People cutting, the reduction in force does not go along with that because there are many, many companies that just will not be able to deliver the appropriate level of, of IT service, let alone IT security, if 40% of IT staff is just cut across the board. And so let's say that a smaller number gets cut. 
half of that, 15%, 20%, then what we as security professionals have to be ready to do is to communicate to business leaders to say, look, it's time for us to move towards more scalable architectures, more scalable applications. Those legacy applications that have been taking so much time to secure and operate, and we did it because no one knew where the source code was for the application or no one was brave enough to move that application off of that legacy database. I think now's the time for people to basically shake them and say, hey, now's the time. We've got to get economies of scale. We've got to get out to things that will make a difference. And in speaking with uh, one of my friends, uh, Peter Cooper, who works at ClearSky, uh, venture capital firm focused on cybersecurity, we were trying to correlate the current situation with other historical events that affected technology. And the situation that we focused in on was what happened to the electrical power industry right after the 1929 stock market crash. And so prior to 1929, every little town had their own electrical generation plant. But after 1929, you see this massive consolidation in generation capability. So you see Hoover Dam, Grand Coulee Dam, Tennessee Valley Authority, you know, these massive hydroelectric projects that essentially consolidated electrical power in a way that really set the United States up to win World War II. It was that massive uh, electrical generation capacity that helped produce the aluminum that was needed for the B-17 bomber and all of those things that had to be done. So if we look at the situation, I think... 2020 is going to be the time when we see much of the death of on-premise IT. And so for organizations Mm -hmm. who are prepared, they can take advantage of this situation and say, it is time for us to move to the cloud and to do so in a well-coordinated manner. And in doing that, it basically will set people up to have better capabilities. Um, I'm faculty for IONS Research, which is another security organization, and uh, several of my faculty colleagues have been working on very interesting cloud security projects that help to automate the monitoring, provisioning, uh, corrective actions for security purposes inside of cloud that can be done more efficiently. So I think if we look at this the right way, we can move towards services at scale and we can get the tools we need to help us do that with less people to get the job done right. And, and I think that's where we need to focus on for those who are left behind dealing with the reduction in force, dealing with the reduction in budget. That's how we can essentially find the silver lining in this. But it's, it's a big gray cloud for sure. Yeah, and certainly now is not the time to be cutting back on your security spend. So, Georgia, did you have anything to add to that? Well, I think that, you know, as Aaron said, we are... Undoubtedly, you know, I've just seen in, in you know, my consulting projects, there's definitely already a push towards less security spend and less, I guess, spend everywhere that isn't, you know, essential. And unfortunately, I guess IT security really doesn't fall into that, though it should in a way. I think that, you know, as the dust settles, though, I think we will have learned some lessons to push the industry forward. And like Aaron said, it is going to have to be a little bit different. I think, you know, the big players with a lot of money have kind of just, if you will, walked down the row at RSA and bought everything um, because they could afford that. And most people are not going to have that luxury anymore. So people are really going to have to take a look at, you know, with their smaller budget, less people, less things they can buy in terms of preventative technologies. I think people are going to have to look more into, you know, what is their actual risk profile? What do they actually need and which products 
despite what they may say on the back of the box, like having end-to-end encryption or not, for instance, what these products actually do provide you in terms of, you know, your cloud security or mobile security or what have you security and, you know, again, what you really need and what can actually give it to you. Um, so I think that, you know, I've been saying this for a really long time, that it's been the title of my talk, that the perimeter has been shattered. We've still, you know, to this day, really been thinking of security, like we can put firewalls and intrusion detections and preventions and what have you at the network perimeter and that that will solve the security problem, if you will, as we see now that, one, that wasn't, hasn't been the case for a very long time, but certainly now, you know, when everybody's working from home and, and mobile, that's not the case now, and, and it's not going to be again. I think, you know, everything that Aaron said about, you know, things moving to the cloud and whatnot, I mean, that's absolutely true. I think we have to, you know, treat everything as you know, zero trust. You know, to go back to Aaron and my talk at RSA, you know, we showed that, you know, all the security tools, if they're on top of a device that has a vulnerability and has been compromised, you know, they don't hold up anymore. And I think we need to treat you know, every application, every device, every server or cloud service, we need to kind of implement them all in a zero trust manner. You know, we buy, you know, what have you product, I think we need to assume that you know, it might be compromised and treated as such um, and have, you know, our strong controls on top of that. And I, I know we won't get there overnight, but I do think that, you know, this COVID-19 hopefully will give us some ammunition as the security teams that survive will give us some leverage to push these technologies throughout the enterprise. Yeah, to set those goals of achieving over time. So, Aaron, to that end, what types of questions should security decision makers be asking when they are trying to find service providers or the right tools? How can they invest their potentially very limited dollars in order to squeeze as much value out of that investment as possible? I think the first question that the folks who are remaining have to ask themselves are, which service providers are going to help me not just today, but in the future? Which are the service providers that are helping an organization to innovate, whether that's through automation or uh, so, some form of scaling through non-human means? There's lots of fancy words for this. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the whole machine learning or artificial intelligence branding that takes place sometimes in our industry, but there is value to automation. And if you can automate things in a way that helps scale teams and helps to reduce the burden on those who are left behind to, to be able to do security operations, that's where people are going to want to focus on. And so I think the best service providers are the ones who have an answer to say, look, here is our strategy to help you. And, and just like in any other hard time, you're going to be looking for service providers who are truly business partners and not just vendors. They're not just there to sell you something. They're not just there to make a buck off of a product and to you know get, get some recurring revenue off the back end. These are folks that are going to roll up their sleeves, get in the trenches, and basically say, look, I'll go to battle with you. Um, one of the most rewarding things that has happened to me with some of my clients over the last couple of weeks is I figured out that there are some government programs that can potentially help 
my clients pay for my services. And so I think that's where people are going to have to become really creative and say, look, in these times of difficult economic situations, how can we work together to find a solution where we continue to work together, where we continue to apply the resources that are needed? The next few weeks, we're going to see the largest cybercrime spree in the history of mankind as the government, the U.S. government, tries to pump as much money as possible into the hands of those who need it. And the cybercriminals are going to be standing right in the middle. And so how do you find those partners that are going to be able to help, number one, solve, you know, in, in the case of small businesses, solve that problem to protect the information so the legitimate businesses get the money? How, how can you find the right partners to protect your customers' information so it is not stolen and abused to, to basically falsely file for these grants and, and all of the other benefits that are coming through the pipe? And so I think that's going to be really important for people to find those partners. Fantastic. Yeah, there's so much to think about and the, the ripple effects go on for so long. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation and I, I wish we had more time. I do want to ask each of you if you have any parting words that you'd like to convey to the listeners. And Aaron, we'll start with you. If we follow up from the theme of what started this conversation is it matters more and more what kind of devices you have with you that you use for work. And for those people who want to be on a path that allows them to be most secure, that means having a device, both their mobile device as well as the laptop that they have, that is in a state that can be trusted. And one of the things that was most shocking as I've worked with Georgia over the last couple of years on this is that the Apple marketing campaign does not match the Apple technology itself. We just finished an instant response scenario a few months ago where an organization had been nearly completely compromised because they had put false hope in the security of the Apple platform. And so people need to understand that there is no magic wand, that all of these platforms, regardless of what they're marketed as, they all have security problems. And so taking a look at the holistic level of risk, helping people move towards managing risk no matter where they're at, whether they're at home or at the office or traveling, especially if they're traveling internationally, what are the real risks that need to be solved and how can those be done? So hopefully people can take that to heart and and find a way to achieve that in these trying times. Nice. Georgia, anything that you wanted to add? Well, I absolutely agree with with Aaron on all that and you know, it's been something that I've harped on for a long time as well that, you know, anybody can write on the back of the box or in their marketing material that they provide, you know, perfect security. And I assure you, a lot of them do. They're marketing people. It's like if you put this, you know, application on your device or you put this box on your network that you don't have to worry about security issues anymore. You know, don't worry about patching or, or security awareness. You just need this blinky light box, and, you know, that doesn't work and never has. And I think that as we see this crunch, you know, people going mobile and there being less you know, security workers and less security budget out there that I guess I would want to end with, you know, there's some of us, you know, like me who have been, you know, singing this apocalypse song for a long time about, you know, the enterprise is not what we think it is. This is all going to break down and your security isn't what you think it is. And, you know, we're here and we've been working on it for a while, mostly ignored. And, you know, we've got a great pool of people and, and products and security researchers and what have you that will be happy to help in this time. 
This has been great. Thank you both so much. And listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll continue to offer these podcasts as frequently as we can to share the education and information that you need to overcome the security challenges that you're dealing with right now. Erin, Georgia, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to the next podcast. Thank you, Casey. Thank you. 